Good evening. Dear members, friends of the LSE, welcome. This is the third event we do here at the LSE together with the Hellenic Bankers Association. And uh, for that we want to acknowledge uh, our thanks and the good rapport that we have created with uh, the Hellenic Observatory and Dr. Federson himself. The last one what, uh, we did was uh, almost two years ago when we had the IMF here. And then things were a bit different. I can only see also powers in terms of security. It's much less today. <laughs> so it um, must be things are getting probably better, we hope. <clears throat> I would like also to thank the Greek Embassy through the European Union uh, Greek Presidency for their support. And uh, His Excellency, our Ambassador, Mr. Bikas, he's not here today. Uh, he knew a long time before that he had another uh, commitment outside London. Greece, Greece and the periphery are enduring a very painful trial, which is economic, but also, most importantly, a social one. And there have been too many unheard cases of personal suffering. <clears throat> the EU parliamentary elections next week are also very important. We look forward to the new persons and leaders who will emerge and will frame fresh ideas or current ideas in, friends, in, in fresh perspectives. Personalities do matter, and those, are responsible, those people are, as these people are responsible for choices and how the things turn out eventually. So let's talk about growth, which is the topic for today. It's a magic word. It's praised by almost everybody. Everybody should work together and to put the ingredients to restart growth for Greece and the periphery as a means for social improvement. The growth uh, spiral downwards for, in Greece and the periphery seems to be coming to an end. We debate today the tools for growth and the limitations to this, and that's what our guests and panelists will say. However, this should not deter us, because if, if that was the case and visionaries were deterred by limitations, then there would be no progress. Debates like today shape opinion and collectively create action and results. Dr. Featherstone would uh, introduce us to distinguished panelists, and we hope that we'll have a good and provoking debate. Thank you. Thank you very much, uh, Strato, and we're delighted to have this collaboration with the Hellenic Bankers Association and also with the uh, Greek presidency of the EU uh, this time. We do indeed have a highly distinguished uh, panel to uh, consider the topic uh, this evening. Our first speaker will be Wolfgang Munchau, who is the Associate Editor and European Economic Columnist of the Financial Times. He's previously been the co-editor of the FT Deutschland. He is also the co-founder and president of the Euro Intelligence um, Company. And his books on the financial crisis have received a number of awards. Our second speaker will be Vicky Price, who is the chief economic advisor to the consulting firm CEBR, She's a former Director General for Economics at the Department for Business, Innovation and Skills. Uh, she was the Joint Head of the UK Government's Economic Service. And she's held a number of academic posts. She's currently on the Council of the Institute for Fiscal Studies. 
and she's the author of, an, of numerous books, and most recently of Greekonomics, if I've got that correctly, in 2013, uh, which uh, is an excellent book to read on the, the crisis. We're welcoming Vicky back because she's an alumna of the LSE. Horst Reitenbach is the head of the European Commission's Task Force for Greece and has been since it was originated in September 2011. He's previously held positions as Secretary General and Vice President of the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development here in London. And he was Director General, for, Director General of Enterprise and Industry at the European Commission and he had served in the Commission for some uh, 30 years. Uh, he has a PhD in growth economics, which seemed to be highly relevant to uh, this evening. Philippe uh, Costaletos is a partner and co-founder at DMC Partners. He's got over 20 years of experience in private equity. Uh, he has uh, worked at JP Morgan, Morgan Stanley. Uh, he's the chairman of Hellas Telecommunications, and he has qualifications from Columbia and Yale. So we have a highly distinguished uh, panel. I've invited our panelists to speak for about 10 minutes or less. That's, that's good as well, uh, not to uh, exceed the time. So we will have the panelists speak on a number of aspects of our topic this evening, and then there should be plenty of time for questions and comments from the uh, audience. So I'm going to invite, first of all, uh, Wolfgang Munchau to start us off, uh, focusing, I imagine, on the Eurozone and its strategy. Wolfgang. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, and thank you for the, for the invitation to speak here. Um, you asked me to, to, to answer the question whether the crisis is over. Um, and, you know, my answer would be the answer that journalists usually hate, hate to hear when they ask the question, which is, this is the wrong question. Uh, because, because it's, uh, you know, obviously in one sense it is. Uh, you know, if you, the crisis had, uh, you know, if we had high bond yields, the immediate, immediate solvency of, of governments was endangered. That is now obviously not the case. So in that sense, the crisis is, yes, of course, that, that part of the crisis is indeed over. It, it may or may not return. It's just impossible to predict the bond markets. The, the markets have swung to the other, to the other extreme. Um, in my view, uh, not reflecting health, but reflecting an expectation of persistent economic weakness. If there's any meaning in those prices, I wouldn't, however, attach too much meaning in, in, any, in, in bond prices um, uh, because these are, these are mostly liquidity-driven uh, market swings. So from the market perspective, we could say, yes, the crisis is over. In the financial markets, you talk to everyone, it's over. So the atmosphere that you get, it's indeed very over. But obviously, if you look at the economists themselves, the crisis is uh, from the perspective of the people uh, in, uh, in, in, uh, in, in the eurozone, uh, except perhaps in some pockets uh, of the you know, central northern parts of the eurozone, the crisis continues. Um, it's a, we've seen the figures today. The eurozone's growth in the first quarter was extremely disappointing. People had expected an increase quarter to quarter in 0.4. It was only half of that. Italy is back into negative growth. Various other periphery countries are back into negative growth. It looks like we are on the brink of what is a triple-dip recession. We've had a double-dip, the first dip in 2009, then in 2011. Obviously, however you define it, I actually don't define it as a triple-dip recession. For me, this was just one giant recession. There were just different phases. This is a recession that had lasted five years. 
in Greece certainly it has, uh, but uh, it, it really has in most of the rest of the periphery and our, our sort of compass of two consecutive quarters of growth or, or, or positive or negative growth uh, is something quite useful for a normal business cycle, but clearly not for this, for, this, for, the, for this situation. So this is a period of sustained economic weakness, and the idea that we are sort of in a recovery, in a strong recovery, as some of the survey data suggested, this was what led a lot of people to believe that this is really going well because they looked at you know, IFO indices in Germany or these purchasing manager surveys, that say that you know this is a very robust recovery. According to those indicators, we are, we must be sort of in sort of almost a boom, an unsustainable boom. These these the, the, the data suggests that uh, that this is like 2005, 2006. But then again, you know our economies are very different than they were in 2005 and 2006. We have much lower uh, levels of GDP in many countries. Actual levels of GDP are lower than then, and of course much li- much higher levels of um, uh, of, of employment. What concerns me at the moment the most is the fall in inflation. That sounds a rather arcane thing since it is still a positive number, but I was just looking at, at, the, at the core inflation indicators and I saw there were there are now five years, five years at 1.5% and lower. Uh, the ECB has an inflation target of 2% or just under 2%, but they fell off in 2009 to a level at 1.5, then they fell, fell much lower in, the, in, the, in that 2009 recession. They never recovered fully. They then were at sort of 1% to 1.5%. Then they fell to about 1%. Uh, and uh, in, uh, about a year ago, they were at 1%. And since, they have been around 1%. And then they fell to 0.8% about six months ago. So there's been a gradual decline in those core rates, which are the the stable, the forward-looking part of, of inflation rates, you know, ex- excluding volatile items, energy. And that tells me that something, you know, and this has been a very persistent structural trend towards, uh, um, you know, towards a lower uh, rate. And I, I think we, we have already a situation where inflation has actually decoupled. Uh, the question of whether the ECB can still, you know, do something and get these inflation rates up. They should have done more. If you, if I, if you look back, 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 I think there are, we could identify a whole number of policy errors, not only the increases in interest rates they, they did in 2011, but, um, but the failure to, to take the most recent, six months ago, the recent fall in, in both headline and core inflation rates seriously enough, uh, not, act, not reacting with policy and only reacting now that the pressures really become intolerable for them. Uh, you know, I think this will, will probably look at, with hindsight, as, as one of the main policy mistakes that were made in the crisis, and that, that make it very difficult for us, uh, uh, for us to overcome this crisis. And this is not just weak growth in terms of this is because it's bad in itself. A 1% inflation rate, uh, if it is sustained, will, will have very serious implications for debt sustainability. Uh, if you look at um, just Italian debt sustainability, where it's a country with 135%, 34% level, level of debt to GDP, um, all sustainability assumptions for Italy rest on the, on the notion of a 3% nominal growth. And that would normally be you know, over, long, over longer periods. So that would be like you say 2% inflation because that's the target um, and 1% real growth. You know, if you do structural reforms, you make sure that you, you can ascertain those 1% real growth because 1% real growth is more than what Italy had in the past. Um, if inflation is down from 2 to 1%, the nominal growth rate, even with economic reforms, 
would fall from three to two. The implications for debt sustainability are serious. Italy would need, a would need to offset that with a much higher primary surplus, which is not going to happen. The current, if you look at the current policy of the government, you know, they're going in the, in the other direction. They have announced tax cuts. You know, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying this is a wrong policy, but I'm saying, saying that, you know, if in this complete, in this mix of low inflation, uh, um, a, a general weakness of, 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 of GDP and high debt, um, you know, this is not going to, this is not together a, a, a scenario of debt sustainability. So my expectation, before I end my speech, my expectation is that the crisis will return, but it will probably not return in the way we experienced it. It will return at some stage in that governments, in that governments may have to impose new austerity or prolonged austerity and that it would result in, in a political backlash. In Italy, though not in Greece, but interestingly in Italy, the latest uh, Pew Research poll suggests that, that about 60% of the population is no longer supports the euro. They are supporting parties. 65% of the opinion polls for the European elections suggest they are supporting parties to 65% that at one point or other have questioned Italy's commitment to the euro. Some want out, some want to have a referendum, like Grillo's five-star movement, which seems to be doing rather well. Um, so, you know, Italy is a country where there's already a, I would say, a first-stage political backlash. It's a first stage. We're not anywhere near a, a referendum or anything near a decision, but I would call this a first stage. This is, you know, the, the, for the first stage, there is a, a political debate about your membership in any, a serious debate in any country. I, I wouldn't call it a serious debate. It's a, not a very serious debate, but it, it's, it is a beginning of a debate. And, and I would think that, that this is something which, which is not going to go away with the European elections. And I would assume that as we go along and stay in a low-growth scenario, that these debates will surface in other Eurozone countries, whether it would help in the end, whether withdrawal, this is another sub subject, and I, you know, I don't, you know, I'm, not, I'm not advocating that this, it is necessarily a, a good idea for everyone to leave the Eurozone. I don't think that is the case at all, incidentally. But uh, you know, we are in, in, a, in a phase where, the, where you know, the hope that no one will ever question this, which was the idea of the original backstop, I think that's illusionary. We will have this debate in, in several countries. Thank you, uh, Wolfgang, very much indeed. Uh, Vicky. Thank you. Um, well, we just heard a very depressing um, <laughs> uh, explanation of what's going to be happening in Europe. And, and of course, I mean, Greece isn't uh, operating in isolation. My job is to say a few uh, words about where Greece is. Because, of course, there have been some good news, supposedly. Um, first of all, we had a primary surplus in Greece last year, which was really not expected, of um, 1.5 billion. And the main did be a primary surplus again in 2014, although things don't look quite that good, but we get to that um, later, perhaps, in the discussions. Um, also, um, the banking system, which looked pretty ropey, has been performing reasonably well recently. It's been recapitalized. Um, they've actually been able to go out to the markets themselves, uh, some of the banks, and, and raise money and be able to, to improve the sort of equity position uh, that there is. Um, and they look slightly stronger than we would have expected uh, just a few months ago. So uh, things have improved in that way as well. Um, so all that is, is good news, but there is a lot of underlying weakness that's still there. In fact, um, particularly listening to what uh, we just heard, um, 
the worries increase rather than, than decrease. Um, that's for a number of reasons. It's worth remembering where Greece is, of course. Um, GDP has come down by some 25%. It always uh, amazes me to think what the British worker would have done if GDP had fallen that much. And what surprises me, you know, being Greek myself and knowing the Greek temperament, um, that the demonstrations we've seen are nothing uh, by comparison to probably what you would have seen in this country. The government would have fallen without any doubt. Of course, the government did fall in Greece, and we had, uh, you know, PASOK has been reduced very significantly as a power, but there would have been revolution. And in Greece, there hasn't been a revolution. In fact, after the initial sort of attacks on uh, the IMF and the sort of Troika program, uh, and of course the, the rise of other parties like Syriza, of course, and, and New Dawn, uh, the Greeks still seem to be pretty conservative overall in terms of their desire to be still part of Europe, the desire to be part of the euro. And if anything, in the last year, because things stabilized, the polls suggest that the belief in the EU institutions in Greece has increased over the last year, uh, which is sort of quite good news in terms of thinking of what may happen next. And of course, it's good news for our a speaker from the EU task force. There seems to be a recognition that actually Europe matters, and the last thing the Greeks want probably is to be left at the mercy of their politicians. Um, so at least some connection with what's going on uh, uh, the rest of Europe is important. However, that attachment is still going to be severely tested. Not only do we have the elections coming up, the European elections, and then possibly, uh, particularly if new democracy do well, we may well have a snap election after that. Um, but we are still in the, in the middle of, of a lot of pain um, for most of the people in the country. Um, we have seen not only the, the, the drop in GDP, but also unemployment rise to uh, the highest in Europe, uh, 27%, and, of course, youth unemployment being immense uh, to over 60%. And the interesting thing is, of course, what, what has happened as a result. Uh, the Greeks have either relied on their parents' diminished pen pension, um, or have come here. Um, it is the first time in the many decades that I have been in this country that you go to restaurants and you get served by very well-educated Greek or wine bars. Uh, that never was the case. In fact, I used to be very proud of that in the past. I said, look at me, the Greeks don't really need to be doing this, but actually what they really wanted was back, go back home to the nice country with the very nice weather and eat the mother's cooking. Uh, they just wouldn't stay here except the ones who decide to go into the city. And there are now, of course, an increasing number of Greeks who come here, which has caused, of course, Cameron to say, we don't want all the Greeks to come here and take our jobs. Uh, he did say that a little while ago and infuriated everybody. Uh, but there has been a reaction to all this by people just upping and going, which, of course, is not particularly good for an economy which relies very much on the skills of its people because it has very little else. And that is the crux of the matter. And what... what you find when you look at Greece is this pain that the IMF imposed uh, over a number of years, which of course led to a huge reduction in, uh, in incomes and a huge reduction in the minimum wage, a huge reduction in salaries by about 30%. Um, and of course pensions were also cut very significantly. And that has lost Greece a huge amount of the gains that it had made uh, in, since, since the 70s really. Um, and the interesting thing about this is to see what has it resulted in. Um, those who were arguing for quite some time in favour of Grexit um, were arguing that a devaluation would help Greece. Of course, we've had an internal devaluation of this sort. 
But Greece doesn't really export an awful lot except tourism. Um, it's not the sort of place where suddenly, because of quite cheap labor costs, uh, the German manufacturers are going to move their outputs from Romania or Bulgaria down to Greece. Um, it just doesn't happen. That is not the type of country Greece is. And the reduction in wages has come with absolutely no improvement in, in productivity of people. So you're left just with a serious issue in terms of demand in the economy, um, and of course with a serious issue in terms of being able to collect tax, um, you know, whether it's VAT receipts, uh, whether it is corporation tax, uh, and of course businesses are going uh, out of business um, at, a, at an alarming rate still. So looking at the banking sector, which we uh, acknowledge at least has stabilized, what we find, of course, is that non-performing loans form some 30% of uh, the balance sheets. Um, and that is a big issue in, um, in Greece, like it would be in any other country. Uh, and, of course, there is no incentive to go out and, and uh, foreclose, if you like, on all those, because there isn't really very much collateral to take back. Property prices have collapsed by some 60%. Um, and every increase in property taxes, which are necessary in, so that actually the state can collect a little bit more revenue, um, leads to a further decline in property taxes, basically. Uh, and when people don't go out to eat and don't drive their cars, it's very difficult to collect either VAT or any uh, duties on, on, on petrol. And, of course, the government has reacted, reduced the VAT on eating out, uh, which, of course, has been a Greek habit uh, for as long as I can remember, um, and the Greeks actually started going out and eating a bit more. You just find those little incentives, in fact, working. Um, in addition, of course, to all the other problems, uh, Wolfgang mentioned this in terms of low inflation in, in Europe. Of course, we've had deflation in Greece. Um, and that's hugely bad news, um, because after all, Greece has one of the highest debt, the highest debt to GDP levels in um, Europe, um, 175 to 180%. With deflation, that becomes just harder to sustain. Uh, and, of course, with very little growth, which has been revised, actually, a number of people now are thinking that rather than the 0.6% growth in this year, which we may finally see some uh, growth, and there have been some uh, indicators of that happening, um, may, in fact, be only 0.3%. interesting thing about when you're very close to zero is that it could very easily move the other way. And if the rest of Europe doesn't uh, recover... Uh, to the extent that we all hoped it would, then obviously Greece will suffer too since it can't actually act in isolation. Maybe there will be many, many more Greeks coming here uh, uh, after all, causing Cameron to say something again, um, which will be rather sad. But it is also worth, um, you know, obviously we're looking ahead to see what has happened in Greece that might allow for growth to resume, assuming the economic environment is better. Now, we've seen that Portugal and Ireland have exited the bailout programmes still, of course, have quite high debt-to-GDP ratio themselves. Greece hasn't and isn't going to, for, certainly for a couple of years. Um, there are problems in Greece. There are problems in terms of inability to reform. There are pro problems in terms of bureaucracy. There are problems in terms of the admin system. The OCD report done a few years ago found that Greece was probably the worst country uh, in terms of its administrative efficiency. So the public sector, absolutely useless from that point of view. Um, and, of course, reform has been very, very slow to happen. Uh, we didn't. The Greeks did not reduce the size of the public sector as soon as they should have done. Uh, they have not instituted the types of reforms that Portugal has done. And it is doing it now, uh, rather late, 
um, and of course still with huge opposition in the country. Is it going to be a reformed uh, economy rising out to, to, to show everyone that actually um, all the, the pain has worked? Well, the answer is with difficulty. Uh, the IMF has now conceded that it should have pushed for a restructuring of the debt three years ago. The IMF's um, prescription for Greece seemed to have completely ignored how the multiplier might work. Um, in other words, they did not realize that the austerity measures were in fact going to lead to a downward spiral, which is precisely what happened. They have learned some lessons, but we probably don't want to tell them off too much because, of course, the IMF's um, bailout package for Greece was the largest they had ever done anywhere around the world. Very, very difficult to see where the impact would be on a country like Greece when the highest um, package that they had been involved in before was $35 billion in Brazil. Um, so you can't blame them particularly. You can't blame them for pushing an ideology, uh, which actually has gone completely wrong in my view. The Greeks haven't helped. They are generally considered to be impossible by the Brussels bureaucrats, and that's probably a reasonable reflection of their negotiating habits. Uh, but what it does, nevertheless, it leaves me with a very serious concern, particularly looking at the debt sustainability issues, which Wolfgang, in fact, mentioned. Greece is in the worst position of them all. Uh, yes, perhaps Italy is worrying because it's so large by comparison to Greece. But the idea that you can actually sustain um, a 180% um, debt-to-GDP ratio with growth of practically 0% and with a non-reformed economy um, is pie in the sky. So restructuring is going to happen, and that is probably what Greece needs. Uh, and if reforms, indeed, um, are continue to be pursued, then there could be hope. But without this debt restructuring, I fear that Greece will still be, if anything, being pushed down um, and have very, very little growth over the next few years. Thank you. Thank you, Vicky, very much indeed. Um, can I just ask a, one quick question? Uh, the primary surplus 2013, how robust do you think that is? Do, do you mean whether we believe the figures? Yes. Ah, we had an interesting discussion um, um, with the next speaker um, at, uh, at lunch, and the data that's coming out of Greece seems to have improved quite considerably, so you can rely quite a lot on what's there. But, of course, we all know what it means. First of all, it doesn't include any debt repayments. And the second thing, of course, it has improved but mainly, although there's been a bit of an increase in tax debt, because they've actually been stopping spending. And a huge amount is owed to companies that, been, that have con been contracting to do work for central government. Uh, and that's one of the ways in which it's been flattered, plus some money which is coming from, uh, uh, from Europe in terms of structural funds and, and some repayments of some of the profits that have been made by the ECB, uh, which have been returned now in terms of the bond okay. buying. Uh, so it is slightly artificial from that point of view, uh, but I think we can believe the figures, even though they have been flattered by all these things that I have said. Okay, thank you. So we can believe the figures, but there's uh, 27 footnotes to qualify. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I think I follow that. Um, Thank you. So we move from questions of economic strategy and the Eurozone to perhaps more practical issues of reform in Greece and Horst uh, Reichenbach, the head of the uh, task force for Greece. Please. Well, I will start also with some uh, general con considerations um, on where Greece stands at the moment. 
Clearly, in terms of the financial situation, a turning point has uh, been reached. The Greek uh, banks were recapitalized. Uh, the bond markets are open, not only for uh, the banks, but also for the state and for corporates. So all this is uh, a turnaround which uh, even a few months ago uh, not many people in, in this room would have uh, considered possible. In addition, also in the relations between uh, Europe and Greece, uh, we are at a turning point. For four years, um, you all are aware that the Troika has negotiated with the Greek authorities what needs to be happening over the next uh, uh, months and years in uh, the so-called adjustment programs. Now, for the first time, the Greek authorities have uh, very recently uh, put forward their own ideas on uh, what should happen over the next decade in order to make uh, uh, Greece a uh, prosperous and... Uh, uh, employment-intensive uh, 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 country. Greece uh, 2021 is a first attempt to set out a strategy what will be needed, and I think this, again, is uh, a starting point which is very promising. What are the what are the main priorities uh, which are set out and which I will uh, give in my own words uh, uh, what I see uh, and on which I see a large convergence between the Greek authorities and uh, the EU. First of all, and in the Greek paper, this is mentioned as the impediment number one for uh, reaching growth in the future, something needs to be done for improving access to finance. And here in particular, as the bond markets is, uh, may even be open for mid-caps, but for small and medium-sized enterprises, uh, access to credit remains the big challenge. Even uh, in the month of March of this year, uh, the banks have uh, reduced their credit volume by approximately 4%, which shows that the real economy, and in particular the SMEs, uh, do suffer and continue to have uh, constraints in uh, uh, continuing to operate and even more constraints in, in uh, uh, investing into the future. Secondly, and um, a lot of work from uh, the task force uh, for Greece has gone into this, to make Greece more attractive for investors. Uh, in other words, to achieve uh, structural reforms to continue with uh, what has been done over the last two years in particular under the new government, but to carry this further is uh, essential. Thirdly, and uh, Vicky has uh, said this already, uh, gains in competitiveness have been achieved very largely to re through reduction of uh, unit labor cost and wages more, more generally. And uh, 
what is missing are increases in productivity. So the third priority and focus of a growth uh, strategy has to be that productivity is uh, increased, and in particular by concentrating on sectors in which Greece has comparative advantages. These, I think, are three key ingredients uh, for the future growth in Greece. But as Vicky also referred to already, there will remain a large part of the population continue con- with continued suffering. And once unemployment is at a level, level of uh, uh, slightly below 30% and slightly above 50% uh, for young people, uh, this doesn't go away overnight. And therefore, it is very important that uh, uh, the uh, system in, uh, which, uh, with which uh, 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 Greek society supports the most needy is overhauled and a new way of ensuring social cohesion is uh, found. This will also be, because there will also be a demand effect, uh, have positive uh, repercussions for growth, but even more important is uh, the social dimension. Building on that, how is the outlook, how, as uh, uh, I was supposed to say something, uh, can uh, uh, Europe help? Well, before we come to how Europe can help, I think I fully agree with Vicky that uh, uh, political stability is essential. Uh, We had relative political stability now for two years, and it is uh, to be hoped that a similar situation will prevail also, not only over the next uh, months, but for two, four, and maybe more years. The other point which I would uh, like to underline is uh, that uh, the strategy which uh, Greece has now presented should be seen as a first step for real ownership by Greece on reforms and on the way forward. Greece has uh, been uh, with, uh, with the Troika now for four years, and it is important uh, that they take their own fate in their, into their hands and uh, move forward. In this, certainly also a new relationship between Greece and Europe, uh, uh, Europe, the Eurogroup, as well as the Commission, uh, will have uh, to be built. And uh, I have uh, no clear blueprint at this point, because this will be part of an intensive discussion from now until the end uh, of the year, when uh, the EU adjustment program will run out. And in this context, uh, clearly two issues will uh, come to the forefront uh, which uh, require a political response. First of all, is there for Greece an additional financing need from Europe? 
And uh, if this is not the case, then uh, would that nevertheless be in one way or another a continuation of a kind of program? Or if this is the case that further financing is uh, uh, needed, then what kind of further adjustment program uh, will be established and will one continue with uh, the formula of uh, the Troika, which uh, is not particularly popular in Greece and uh, is also in some EU institutions uh, uh, subject to some doubts. The other question uh, on which uh, uh, Vicky has already uh, given her view, uh, and we will see what uh, the political response to this is over the uh, remaining months of this year, is the question of what kind of uh, debt relief. The promise which was made uh, in uh, 2012, uh, the uh, Eurogroup on the 5th of May has uh, repeated that this still holds, uh, so some mechanism of uh, debt relief is likely to be found uh, uh, towards the end of this year. So altogether, uh, still a lot of work is uh, ahead to make Greece fit for the future. And uh, the technical support uh, which uh, the Commission, together with uh, member states and international organizations, uh, has provided will uh, probably continue to be necessary for coaching Greece uh, for this uh, achievement into a better future. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, Philippe. Thank you. Well, much has been said and written about the, the current situation, um, what led to the current situation, who is to blame. I mean, to paraphrase Paul Krugman, Poor countries portray the Euro crisis as a morality play. It tales countries that lived high and now have to pay for their sins. Having said that, I will focus on the current situation from a financial perspective, and I will share some thoughts about what I think the international community and, importantly, Greece, what Greece, Greece can do uh, to help attract investment to the country. I will address four initiatives which have been touched upon by my uh, fellow speakers. Um, the four, the four initiatives are, the first has to do with restructuring of the sovereign debt. Uh, the second one about overhauling uh, legislative reforms and, and the framework. Uh, the third, importantly, about unlocking the availability of liquidity and domestic credit. Uh, and lastly, the focus on exports. So I do not want in any way to minimize or trivialize the political and financial challenge in restructuring sovereign debt. Uh, but my view is undeniably um, that the country's sovereign debt should have been restructured earlier. Uh, it seems that the IMF now agrees that that is the case. Interestingly, uh, the two bailout programs in 2010 and 2012 and the debt, uh, the debt buyback in 2012 have resulted in a material change in the profile of creditors in Greece. Uh, prior to 2010, 85% of the sovereign debt was owned by the private sector. Today, over 80% is owned by uh, this Eurozone uh, state balance sheets. Uh, there's been a great reluctance to consider uh, a third restructuring, uh, understandably, 
having said that, there is no doubt that Greece's current financial debt is unsustainable. Um, I think everyone agrees on that point. The question is going to be how will it be addressed and when. Um, I would argue that what Greece needs is not another restructuring but a, a significant debt relief. I mean, Greece cannot become a destination for long-term investments in the context of an unsustainable uh, debt burden. Well, there is much the international community can do. Uh, there's even more than Greece uh, should do to make the country a more attractive destination for investment. Uh, and this has to do, first and foremost, with an overhaul of the legislative framework. And there are four areas that I'd like to focus on. The first has to do with public sector bureaucracy. Um, the bureaucracy involved in getting a license uh, or permit uh, continues to present a significant obstacle for doing business in Greece. Now, importantly, some progress has been made, uh, but there's a lot more that needs to be done. Second, I believe the judicial system needs to be revamped for efficient and effective disputes of contracts. The courts are clogged with contractual disputes, which can often take up to 10 years. An investor would be <laughs> wary of committing capital or signing contracts in Greece if there is no clear framework within which disputes can be resolved efficiently. Third, there needs to be more stability and dependability on the tax system. Uh, the uncertainty about what the tax environment will be next year or in the medium term, again, make it very difficult for investors to price uh, risk uh, in that context. Uh, finally, um, I believe the regulation regarding land ownership, permitting, and zoning uh, need to be reformed and clarified. For a country with such potential for investment, uh, particularly as it relates to tourism, I think Greece should uh, try and address this as a matter of priority. Now, undeniably and critically, for any of these issues to be addressed properly, the government needs to have a clear mandate uh, and a clear majority of parliament. Now, turning from the public to the private sector, uh, let me address sort of the third initiative, which has been alluded to, which is important, how important it is to unlock liquidity and domestic credit. One of the biggest issues facing businesses, as was mentioned earlier, uh, is the lack of working capital liquidity for, for businesses. And this is true of Greece, as it is true of many uh, small, medium-sized enterprises and family businesses uh, across the Eurozone. And while the recapitalization of banks uh, is a positive sign um, and should provide some liquidity to the system, Greek banks have significant amount of capital tied up in underperforming and non-performing loans. It is very difficult for banks today to accelerate and enforce those claims. And what Greece needs is legislation that allow banks to accelerate and enforce their claims. Um, in many cases, bank executives are reluctant to recognize losses and undertake proper restructuring, even if you assume that banks have marked their books properly. Loan portfolios are committed to companies which are underperforming, where banks are unable to attract outside capital. I've seen in many other countries, and I believe this can attract outside capital if the underlying business can be properly capitalized. Now, lastly, I'll touch on the need to focus on increases, Greece's increasing share of exports. Now, longer term, what Greece needs is, more, is a more export-oriented economy. 
Now, over many decades, as we know, the growth in Greece has been supported largely by public spending and domestic consumption fueled by cheap credit. Both these drivers of growth uh, have experienced significant declines, and at the same time, they do not represent the basis for a stable, self-sustaining, and healthy economy. The Greek state needs to embark on a sector-wide effort to remove competitiveness and productivity barriers and promote growth and investment. Athens 2004 provided an example of how Greece can simplify and accelerate investment approvals when it needs to. It will help to address the country's structural trade deficit and will attract investors who are looking for and value growth. Greece needs to export itself as a high-end destination to large, untapped, and emerging markets while defending its share of the core European markets. But tourism on its own will not make enough of a difference. There There will be opportunities in energy, food manufacturing and processing, agriculture, medical tourism, elderly care, pharmaceuticals, agriculture. To close from a point of view as an investor, the four initiatives required would require a significant restructuring of the sovereign debt, an overhaul of the legislative framework, unlocking domestic credit and liquidity, and a longer-term focus on exports. Thank you, Philip, very much indeed. Well, I guess you've uh, heard a number of presentations which are stressing, I must say, really rather depressing uh, climate. Uh, You've also heard crucial choices are still looming. You've heard that major structural uh, reforms are still to be done. And you've heard an emphasis on the need for continued political stability. I'm not quite sure how to interpret uh, that uh, comment. Uh, Thank you for uh, listening. We now have the opportunity of inviting uh, comments and questions from the audience. If you could uh, perhaps simply explain who you are, that is your, your name, and then go straight uh, as quickly as possible to the question. Can we start with the gentleman here, please? There's a microphone coming to you so we can pick it up for the recording. Thank you. Nasser Kalawun, occasional commentator on BBC Arabic TV. I have a, a question for uh, easy capital and difficult capital to come to Greece as an investment. There is a Chinese uh, case uh, and I'm sure you know uh, about the various uh, um, uh, port and uh, taken over by the Chinese for half of the port. Chinese capital, especially in Africa, comes with Chinese workforce, even if it's a at, at trickle at the beginning. So my question, uh, compare it to this one, to Arab capital. We read in the Arab press headlines that UAE promises $10 billion or Qatar or whatever to investment. Arab capital, especially from Gulf countries, doesn't come with workforce. It comes free. Are there anything to distinguish between these two kinds of capital and for Greek government to make it uh, translate into uh, re-employment of, uh, you know, redundant workers from, uh, uh, you know, the, uh, the government sectors and retraining uh, them to, to be able to be profitable for Greek businesses? Thank you. Thank you. Let's take uh, two more uh, Further along, the gentleman here, please, with the blue shirt. Thank you. Uh, my name is Yanis Krokovalos, and I'm a master's student at the European Institute. So several papers in academia or uh, relevant commentators view the situation in Greece as being the most uh, coercive situation the country has experienced um, since its entry in the European um, community. So inspired by the report of the OECD that was mentioned by Mrs. Price regarding the 
capacity building and administrative efficiency of the country. Um, my question is related to the task force. Um, so in other words, is it only compliance or there is learning in this process of conditionality, if you want? Um, so and if there is a learning process, what is the evidence until now? Thank you. Thank you. And uh, another question before we move on? Oh, sorry, yes. <laughs> sorry, the gentleman here, please. Thank you. Uh, there's a microphone. Hello. Yeah, Bernard Casey from uh, University of Warwick and the Hellenic Observatory. Um, there was much talk about the need for debt relief. Um, the IMF is agreeing. Everybody seems to agree that something has to be done. I wondered whether anybody could comment upon the London Debt Accord of 1953 as a potential model, particularly as a way to bring um, the Germans on board, and what kind of conditionality perhaps or to be applied if there were to be a reworking of something like the London Debt Accord. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, we start with nice, easy questions. Um, Wolfgang, would you like to respond to the last point about debt yes. relief and the London Accord, which the most 90, of the audience the will be very familiar with? I don't think the Germans would... Uh, my understanding of the legal position is that it is illegal, except, of course, uh, when it is regarding to German debt. Um, but, um, uh, no, to be seriously, it, it's, it's the, the view of the, the contractual agreements on the ESM that Germany does not voluntarily go into a, a deal on debt relief. So, you know, if someone can default on them. But the consensus in Berlin is that the way to deal with that is to pretend and extend, or extend and pretend. So we're looking at 50-year maturities uh, starting in, was it 2023? That's when the, the repayment starts. So we're looking at a 50-year repayment period at you know, interest rates of 2%, maybe 1.5%. That would be the, the thing. But I, I doubt we will see uh, a debt conference or some kind of negotiation where this debt is actually physically removed. And for as long as that debt is on the books, you know, there is always the, the question of that it might be defaulted on you know, at some time in the future. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant that this, this approach is, 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 is sustainable. Uh, and you know, I'm, I'm not sure if I was a, a real investor, uh, a bricks-and-mortar type investor, whether I would invest in an economy that had such high levels of debt. Um, that, 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 that seems to be a factor um, providing a disincentive. Thank you. Vicky, do you want to respond to the point about different types of FDI and workers coming with it? Well, um, obviously, one needs to be very open to foreign investment, uh, without any doubt, wherever it's coming from. Um, but, but one has to also be wary of some of the conditions attached. Uh, but, of course, we know that the Qataris have been trying to get into Greece for quite some time. They wanted to buy the... They put a bid, actually, for uh, some of the stuff that we're trying to privatise uh, for the Hellenicon, um development there. Um, and they're very active. And I, I think they will be actually um, very important in the overall... Um, amount that comes into Greece. And uh, it is very attractive for all sorts of reasons for them to come in. And I don't think there is a prejudice from that point of view. But I think you're, you're, you're right. But I just can't uh, think, imagine that there'll be sort of millions of Chinese coming over um, 
to um, to do various jobs. I think um, so. The, the comparison you draw isn't quite right. It's not like Africa, uh, possibly, or, or really doing mineral stuff uh, or, or sort of um, mines and, and, and really being very involved in some of the extraction that happens in other places. Of course, there is quite a lot that, that can be discovered in Greece as well. Uh, so I, I, um, I don't think there is... It's quite as, as stark as you suggest in terms of the differences between the two. But I think Greece is very, very, very open to Arab money coming in. Good, thank you. Now, I suspect, of course, that the question about whether Greece is adapting by force or whether Greece is learning may possibly be directed to you. Well, that's a possibility. Uh, maybe I should say that um, conceptually there is a very clear... Uh, distinction between uh, the tasks uh, which the Troika uh, has and those which uh, are performed by the task force. The Troika negotiates with the Greek authorities a set of uh, uh, reforms and uh, policy measures, economic policy measures, uh, and then goes on a regular basis uh, every three months uh, approximately in order to verify whether the promises which uh, the Greeks have made uh, in these negotiations uh, have been uh, uh, fulfilled or not. And they have, of course, uh, a very very thick stick stick, uh, in in order to ensure that uh, the promises will be fulfilled because every single tranche is... uh, very essential for Greece and therefore in the end in particular with this uh, very uh, forceful uh, stick of prior actions uh, the Troika uh, makes sure that uh, uh, this is uh, the case. The task force has a completely different role. The task force has been created uh, on request from the then Prime Minister Papandreou in order to support Greece to be able to fulfill uh, the promises which uh, they are making in the context of the negotiations with the Troika. And this is done with technical support uh, in a broad range of fields uh, from administrative reform over tax administration improvements uh, business environment uh, questions, as uh, has been set out uh, uh, by Philippe, and uh, uh, other uh, aspects uh, of reforms. And these are uh, organized in a way which has a longer-term support and is not only done by uh, my colleagues uh, in the task force, but organized by having many many member states uh, uh, supporting Greece and, in addition, international organizations. So it's a joint effort of uh, solidarity from the European and international community. And for this, you do need uh, counterparts in Greece, in the Greek administration, who are willing to work together and who are learning in this process. So without these able Greek counterparts, nothing will really 
uh, work in terms of implementation of the different uh, reforms. And you find them? Absolutely. Okay. <laughs> Philippe, would you like to pick up on any of the points which have been raised so far? Well, I, I think to, to, to uh, agree with Vic, I think the, the, uh, Greece definitely welcomes uh, capital from, from the Gulf uh, region. Um, and I, I agree also that a lot of the experiences that, that uh, some uh, other uh, states have had in, in parts of Africa are, are, are not going to be the same in Greece. Uh, and and it, is, it is critical for, for Greece to be, to be very open to uh, attracting uh, long-term capital from, from investors who see uh, from a strategic perspective, from, from a, a resource perspective, from a access perspective, uh, opportunities to invest. So I think uh, there is absolutely no, uh, no issue. And I think, in fact, culturally, they should be very open to, uh, to attract to uh, accepting capital on the right terms. Okay, good. Some more questions and uh, comments. Uh, gentleman in the centre, please. I just wonder if you could perhaps comment a little bit more about this social cohesion aspect of the uh, topic. And we heard that you know, unemployment is 25%, but it doesn't seem to have had much uh, impact on poli the political stability at the moment, but and I think the first point I'd like to make is that the um, unemployment would have been even higher if there hadn't been a spillover of uh, the effects of the crisis into neighbouring countries. For example, Albania. Many um, Albanian workers have lost their jobs who previously were working in Greece. They've gone back home, pushing the unemployment rate in Albania up to 20% and causing an economic collapse and recession in Albania. Um, so that's a sort of safety valve for Greece, but it's spreading the crisis further abroad around in the region. And I wonder if there might be sort of more hidden and latent forces at work that are going to sort of erupt in, in the future, a bit like in Ukraine. I mean, that was very stable for a while, but there were things going on under the surface that people weren't really aware of. And Thank you. The gentleman at the very back, please. Hi, Dimitri Sandonu from the Hellenic Observatory. I have a question for Vicky Price. Uh, in your presentation, you mentioned, um, as a matter of surprise, actually, that given the harsh realities of the Greek population, the Greek public in general has not vehemently opposed what is happening. And you compare the situation to what could have happened here if, let's say, 25% of the GDP had been lost. At the same time, and in the context of the same presentation, you also mentioned your, a conviction of sorts that uh, there is a strong reaction uh, against reforms. And I wanted to see how you, what sort of, on what sort of knowledge does this statement rely? If you see a paradox between a statement regarding the lack of contestation given the loss of the GDP, and at the same time, a strong conviction regarding the fact that somehow we arrive at this um, belief that reforms are strongly opposed. Good, thank you. Um, 
the lady here. Uh, Danai Kriyakapulu, also from the CBR. I have a question from, for Wolfgang. Uh, you referred to Europe's ongoing lowflation as your biggest concern. To what extent do you think that the finance ministry in Greece is as concerned about this, or is it largely an unavoidable byproduct of their efforts and the Troika's efforts to improve competitiveness through internal devaluation? And if low inflation is, as you mentioned, largely driven by um, external supply-side factors such as lower food and energy prices, to what extent can monetary easing by the ECB in June enjoy any success? Thank you. Well, we have uh, some questions directed uh, by name. Um, Wolfgang, do you want to take the last question first about low inflation? Yes. Um, the, 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 it's, not due to full, it's not just due to sort of cyclical factors. I mean, the, the inflation has, has been weak for a while, for five years. Um, we've seen very low, very weak inflation, uh, core inflation data. I know nobody looks at core inflation quite quite as much, but core inflation is, is a, has, has proven in the eurozone to be a very good indicator. It has, it has been fairly stable, and it has been a fairly good forward indicator of, 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 um, of headline inflation, and not as others had hoped or thought. It's the other way around. So you know, it's, some, it's, a, it's a figure I would I would look at carefully, and that that excludes food and other prices, and it tells you that there is sort of a, a, a downward drift. And yes, of course, that low inflation adjustment is, is more difficult at, at, at 2% inflation. I think that 2% for the inflation, it was argued, is, is, it is too low for the for monetary union. It would have, it's fine for a country. For monetary union, I would have preferred a slightly higher uh, uh, inflation target, it's just precisely because to allow adjustment to happen. Not a, not a very high one. I think 25 or 3% inflation would have been a more appropriate target. And when you fall from it, and as we've seen, in the process that the fall is fairly gradual. You don't fall from three to zero. You fall, you know, you fall in, in sort of increments of a few decimal points, stay there, and then you fall to the next stage. So um, uh, the, you know, at 3%, if we had 3% inflation, then you know, the, well, the Greece could have, could have you know, adjusted with half a percent, 1% inflation, but without having to actually have a falling, falling physically nominal falling prices. That's, the, you know, that's one of the... The, the advantages of, of, of a higher rate. But even if you look at the national decomposition of inflation rates, you find that even Germany has inflation rates that are below the ECB's target. Thank you. Uh, Vicky, there's the question about political protests in Greece and yeah. opposition to uh, reform. I wonder what more political opposition might one have expected in the Greek context. Uh, we've seen the, the perhaps the biggest collapse of a political party in recent times, anywhere in Europe. We've seen mm -hmm. protests and strikes. Um, you expected more? Well, we, we did see them at the beginning, and then uh, things sort of quietened down quite significantly. Um, uh, but yes, of course, people have voted with their votes mm. in terms of, uh, you know, with their feet, but with their, you know, actually the ballot box. Um, and, um, uh, and indeed, PASOK has sort of disappeared, or is disappearing uh, pretty fast. Um, and indeed, we have the other protest votes there. But we still have one of the old-fashioned um, parties, uh, which is, in fact, we were discussing this earlier today, um, has kept its position reasonably well through the period. And, and as I said before, um, the various polls indicate, if you compare them also with other countries, that 
that the Greeks remain you know, committed to the euro and committed to Europe, which is really rather interesting, even though obviously they didn't like at all what the Troika was doing. And you heard from the introduction earlier um, that you know, a couple of years ago, I think when we were here, um, we had to have police and, um, and quite a lot of sort of strong men sort of keeping protesters out when the IMF uh, chap was here, um, who, who runs the, the, the Troika project for Greece. So um, that's basically what, what I was referring to. But so, so people seem to have accepted it uh, and accepted that something needed to happen, um, even though they have suffered quite significantly. Now, why have they accepted it? Um, and how does it link with the reforms? I think the interesting thing is it is precisely because there haven't been very many reforms. The public sector, people, yes, they lost, they, they lost quite a lot of, uh, of their wages, um, but the public sector didn't get rid of people, uh, hardly at all, until very, very recently when it started doing so. Um, the, the various professions were not opened up, um, and even in the places where there were, there were other restrictions imposed, so very little has actually changed. So the comfort zone of, of people doing, you know, being employed and doing various bit, you know, bits of business um, is, is still there. Um, but I think we might actually see quite a lot of changes taking place now because uh, the push is for a lot more change to take place. But the push is also, but what might, 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 be, uh, might counter that a little bit, um, and I think we have to bear that in mind, is, is that there is no willingness to make sure that, of course, Greece stays in the euro and that um, something happens to the debt. Uh, not necessarily relief, uh, which would be rather nice to just write it all off, but we just heard we can't have it from Wolfgang. But, but there will be something else, um, which will at least lower uh, the, the perceived cost, anyway, of, of, uh, of the debt. Um, so there is that willingness to do something about, about Greece um, and, its, uh, and its position. So that's, that's at least something. Um, but there is no doubt, if you do various polls as well, that the Greeks have had enough. I mean... It's been fine so far because of all this change. Now, the, because, of, because of all these things that I mentioned, now, of course, we're going to have uh, quite substantial reforms happening. Um, uh, and, and if there is more pain to be had, I think we might actually then touch a, a point where there is an explosion again. Um, so it will be crucial what happens in the next few months. It will be crucial what happens in the next year in terms of if you like, the rest of Europe showing its hand uh, in, in relation to the debt in particular. Uh, and if some of the pressure goes, if there is suddenly a bit more money available in terms of lending to individuals and also to businesses, uh, you know, there, there, there is a whole initiative to bring more capital into Greece from the rest of Europe. Uh, started actually by the Germans, so we're discussing that again earlier. Um, more money made available to SMEs um, so that conditions are actually eased, that could act as a counter to, to the fact that the Greeks have had enough. Uh, so I think we are very much a, a, a critical point. It could all go horribly, horribly wrong from here on, or it could go rather well from the point of view of protest and willingness to, to change. It doesn't mean that you're going to get suddenly fantastic growth in the economy. That will take quite some time. But in terms of the mood of the people and what they're prepared to do, uh, and also the political stability issue. I think the next, I think actually between now and the end of the year, uh, is going to be the time when the future of Greece is going to be shaped. Thank you. I think since the beginning of the crisis, we've heard comments to the effect that the next six months are going to be cr uh, crucial. Oh dear. 
but I wonder, host, in terms of the European Union, whether there is uh, that sensitivity to the high stakes between uh, continued uh, support or new forms of uh, support for Greece and possibly the explosive domestic reaction if that was not forthcoming? Well, I think uh, Europe has has shown quite a lot of uh, understanding that uh, uh, the situation from now on has to change and that uh, if there isn't uh, growth in the future, uh, Greece will not only suffer, but also the repayment of the debt will become uh, impossible or at least uh, very much more, more difficult. And therefore, uh, very practical hands-on uh, support uh, of a different type than uh, the adjustment programs uh, uh, have been offered, for instance, for a new institution, uh, financial institution for growth, as it is called, by uh, providing uh, uh, financing for this uh, institution by the EIB, by uh, the Germans, and by others. But I would, if you don't mind, um, uh, comment on two of the questions which have been posed. Uh, and combine also the, the the two questions. First of all, the need for greater social cohesion in Greece is uh, uh, enormous. There is no social welfare system in Greece. It's the only European country in which there's no social welfare system. Uh, unemployed who are uh, long-term unemployed uh, uh, for more than one year, don't get any uh, further support from uh, social insurance or the state directly. And more than two million, and maybe moving towards three million people, uh, do not have any uh, access to health services other than emergencies in the hospitals. So this is really a dramatic situation in which, uh, of course, the activities, as uh, has been uh, recently reported uh, in the press, of uh, extreme parties uh, can also prosper by offering part of the solutions to these problems. And if Greece is not as a state and Europe, in terms of solidarity with with this state, able uh, to address these issues uh, head-on, there will be uh, a, a uh, uh, very difficult uh, uh, future situation in terms of uh, what Vicky has just addressed. Partly, uh, of course, the situation the purchasing power of uh, those who saw their salaries and their pension reduced by 20 to 30 to 50 percent uh, would also be helped by prices going down. And uh, uh, other, quite in opposite to what Wolfgang has said, I believe for Greece it is not only healthy, it is necessary, and that prices have not gone down more 
in the early phases uh, until 2012 uh, in Greece is a clear sign that the uh, downward price flexibility uh, is not there, which should be there, and in a competitive environment would be there, but there are impediments uh, to competition and these need to be addressed. Thank you. Philippe, do you want to pick up um, any points? There? Well, I think, I mean, um, I believe that people yearn for a sense of fairness, and, and when you have the lack of access to health care, when you have hundreds of thousands of children going to school without having been fed in the morning and cannot look forward to a meal when they get back home, um, there is not a sense of fairness. At the same time, as a German citizen, if you've been a living uh, and saving and watching Greece grow and prosper and spend, uh, there's not a sense of fairness. And I think it, it, that is you know, going to make the debate very difficult because each of these issues are treated bilaterally in terms of the electorate and, and the social discussions are within this, each country. Uh, and everyone feels a sense of, of uh, that they've not been treated fairly, and, and, it, and it becomes difficult to cross uh, um, between those two cultures um, and have one debate. I mean, it's difficult to convince, you know, wh why should uh, a German citizen be, be forced to pay for excesses uh, and the sense of entitlement which Greek has had for so long in terms of their benefits? Um, and they live beyond their means. At the same time, why should so many children be, uh, not have access to, to, to proper meals at home? Uh, and I think that is going to be uh, a very difficult uh, debate and at the core of a lot of the social issues um, that, that you know, will, will be treated. The problem is that each of those are treated uh, within the country and bilaterally, and it's difficult to, to bridge those two uh, and, and to bring it together. Thank you. I think we might just have time for one. Suddenly, everybody puts up their hands. Uh, can we take, uh, say, two questions very quickly? Uh, this gentleman here. Um, yeah. I'll be, I'll be very brief. Apart from the revelation, there is now at least one German in favour of higher inflation. What's the good news? <laughs> what was the second part, Ian? What's the good news? <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you. Um, the gentleman here, please. Hi, my name is Andreas Kudras. Uh, a very quick calculation on the net present value of the Greek debt and the profile of the Greek debt uh, shows that uh, on a net present value, actually, the Greek debt is actually comparable, if not less than, for example, the Italian or the Belgian debt. So uh, my question is, first of all, uh, why do we care so much about you know, the level of the debt when on a net present value, even at rates with below the crisis rates, is actually less than some other countries in Europe? And the next one is on the foreign direct investment, uh, which, as we all know, was never exactly one of Greece's uh, advantages the past 20 years. However, the investment part of the Greeks was quite, quite big. So my question is, how do you expect foreign, foreigners to invest into Greece when the Greeks are not investing in Greece? Okay. Um, we can't take everyone, but can we take the gentleman with the white shirt here? Then we'll have to finish, I'm afraid. 
Hi, it's uh, Michael, Michael Edis. Question for Horst, uh, a little bit more on the specifics of the task force. You've obviously talked a lot about the need for growth going forward. The only initiative I've heard so far is this uh, coming SME scheme, which if I understand correctly is 100 million from KFW, that's basically the German government, a little bit from EIB, which Greece would get anyway. And uh, you're hoping that after the elections, the French will put in uh, some money as well, equal to the Germans. In context of 30% of GDP of measures, that's about 50 billion for the audience's estimations in the last four years. Now that the pressure is off from the European perspective, do we really have any concrete measures for growth? Or are we talking about a drop in the ocean going forward? Do you really have any other concrete measures beyond the uh, SME scheme? Okay. I'm going to invite in reverse order, starting with uh, Philippe, uh, our panellists, to pick up any particular points they wish. Philippe. Well, Perhaps um, the net, net present value. <laughs> I think the, 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 fa- the fact is that uh, Greece, I mean, when you look at any measure of the growth required for Greece to service the current debt levels, it is just, um, uh, it not, does not make any sense to assume that Greece can grow uh, at those rates for enough time to service. So I think that, that the fact is that the debt is unsustainable. So uh, whether, it, it may also mean that Italy's debt is unsustainable, but uh, um, I think that you know, Italy will have a different set of issues, has a much more export-oriented economy. Um, but uh, I think fundamentally, I think that, that it's going to be uh, an issue that will have to be addressed uh, very soon um, with respect to the, to the, to the, uh, to the debt. I, I just think that's sustainable, regardless of the present value. Thank you. Host? Good news. Um, <laughs> I mean, if you project yourself back two years and you see where Greece is now, uh, it's amazing. It's almost a miracle. And if you project another four years forward with the same efforts and the same propensity to make progress in Greece, then maybe you will be more optimistic than uh, it sounds uh, uh, this evening. Uh, concrete measures well there's no magic formula if, if there were a magic formula for growth then uh, uh, we would not have all these cycles and all these uh, uh, difficulties in economic terms uh, what Philip has said and set out what is important for investment in the future I think is a very good program, and in this program, in particular on the structural reforms which he has gone through, uh, the support from Europe uh, through the technical assistance we are providing is a very important uh, uh, ingredient of uh, what I hope will be the future growth in Greece. Thank you. Vicky. Um, well, on, on the good news, um, which are, you know, struggling here uh, a little bit, but, but nevertheless, I think there, there, it is the recognition that um, Europe wants Greece to stay in and that Greece was not an exception. It was part of the euro problem um, because at the beginning it was thought that if you just let Greece go, everything will be fine. Um, so the height of Grexit discussions, uh, the Greeks were accused of being the outliers in Europe, you know, um, 
lazy uh, spending too much and all that sort of stuff, when it was realized that actually lots of other countries were pretty similar to that, not lazy necessarily, but you know what I mean, uh, in terms of suffering because of the, the Euro project itself, not not um, um, having had the institutions that it required to make sure that the, the, the whole project stayed um, on track. Now, of course, institutions are being built, uh, and I think that's good news, and, and hopefully Greece can benefit from this, but for the moment it's very much um, uh, agreed that everything will be done to keep Greece in, and everything, of course, will be done to save the euro, which includes everything will be done to, to, to keep Greece in. So, yes, it's absolutely correct that uh, the money coming in uh, through um, the new vehicles there is, 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 is hardly going to be uh, the solution to everything, but it is just a recognition that Greece needs more help, and hopefully they will understand that it needs more help um, in the future at a much, much bigger rate than has been taking place so far. It may not happen, but I think at least it has taken Greece out of, of be, just being considered to be a, a, a very sort of a weird country that should never have joined. And, of course, if you look at the work rate, uh, if we believe the figures, uh, the Greeks supposedly work harder than the Germans, uh, is what uh, Eurostat figures tell you. Uh, uh, as far as I understand it, uh, those are the ones perhaps we should look at a little bit more detail and see whether they're true. But, uh, of course, they normally have two or three jobs they do. That's probably why uh, they, they, they seem to work harder. On, on the debt situation, um, well, yes, of course, you have a point. The, the interesting thing is that Greece now, because of the restructuring that's taking place, is borrowing very, very cheaply. Um, uh, and I think it's wrong for it to be going out to the markets and borrowing more expensively, just to demonstrate that you can do it. I think there's a bit of mat- you know, machism there that uh, some of us can do without. Uh, so, I, and they're talking about going out to the market again. I think that's, that's wrong. Uh, but at least it's small sums of money. But we just should just forget about that and stick to very cheap sort of ECB lending and, uh, and as long-term as we possibly can. Um, so that could be one way of, of at least making it sustainable, if we like, in, in, in the future. That's not necessarily the case with the other countries that you referred to, uh, which, of course, haven't had the benefit of, of going down the, the Greek route from that point of view. But you do have a point, indeed, and, uh, and, and it should be noted, I think. Wolfgang, it seems appropriate to finish the evening uh, by coming to you as the personification of good news. Yes, great. <laughs> Let me try. I'm going to try. I'm going to try. Let me start off on the, um, on the NPV question. Um, I mean, obviously, as interest rates go to zero, the, the uh, amount of sustainable debt gets very high, very high indeed. If, it, if they're at, at zero, they can become te- theoretically infinite if the expectation, of course, is that, uh, that interest rates remain at zero forever. Um, uh, we've seen in Japan how uh, you know how levels of 250% almost to debt to GDP <clears throat> appear sustainable under specific conditions uh, that we don't have in the eurozone. So they were there, you know, I, I suspect the numbers, you know, we, the, the numbers. Are, but it's clear that the, and this is the good news that the uh, lack, lack of current market pressure make those debts appear more sustainable. Mm-hmm. If, uh, if we keep interest rates low and with the ECB's policies of forward guidance uh, and possibly QE at some points, there is an expectation that interest rates are going to be low and indefinitely we have Japanese, Japanese situation, which is it's not the worst situation. I think when you would say that, you know, it's be as bad as in Japan, uh, you know, the Japanese say, you know, I mean, look, I mean, you know, we, the, 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 the reference point may not be in future be Japan, the reference point may be the Eurozone. Uh, you know, we might be lucky if, it, if it's Japan. I mean, Japan had relatively low unemployment. We don't have that. 
um, it's, it's, it's low growth, uh, 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 some, some deflation. Um, you know, it could be a, a reluctance to, 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 to um, address the banking sector. You know, many factors are very, very similar. The employment situation is very different, but in Japan's favor. Um, so so that, is a, that is a reasonable scenario at which, at which high debt is sustainable. Um, you know, but that would also depend on the institutional arrangement, whether, there is, you know, whether we have this sort of cohesion and whether financial markets consider Greek debt part of European debt and therefore safe, or whether this is this you know sentiment change in over any I think 30 or 50 year period, you know, I, I, it, without an institutional setup that that may that may well change. Now on inflation, just to be clear, I'm not in favour. I would not and never did favour um, high inflation in order to reduce debt, the real value of debt. I think that's that's not something I would I would think is, is a sensible idea. Simply also because I don't think you can simply achieve any rate of inflation. I think our problem is, I mean, we can't even achieve our moderate target. So, I mean, the idea of, you know, some, some have suggested we should have four or six percent inflation targets. I doubt, I doubt very much that we could, that we could actually do this. Um, uh, the Japanese have tried. They're, they're trying very hard now for a two percent inflation target. And I think I'd be happy, already happy, if we got the two percent. Uh, uh, or something around the troopers. And the British seem to be all, altogether more successful um, um, here. Um, but, but for the rest for the rest of us, I mean, you know, that's... that's, uh, that's I, when I say the 2.5%, it's not because I like inflation. Then it's only because I think it's, it, it might be a slight... It gives slightly more flexibility. Um, you know, the... And my last comment is, is about the miracle... And, you know, it is true when you look at relative positions where we were two years ago and what kind of pressures we had and what we talked about. It's good we're no longer talking about Grexit as sort of something that is forced on Greece by the outside. That would have been a disaster if, if Grexit had been sort of forced upon Greece by the EU. Um, but we should not underestimate that the, the, the political impact in, in, the, in the countries. I don't think the EU will ever be driven apart by market pressure or by, by sort of a political or by, a, by, by sort of institutional rule. I don't think anyone will ever get thrown out or anything like this. The real danger would happen is if, if once, once, you know, once the political systems react to you know, low growth, high unemployment, you know, it doesn't translate into a political revolt, but it may do eventually. Uh, we've seen this in Italy, a country that has supported the EU more than others, and there is now a debate going on, uh, and some people are questioning it. And Italy seems to be ahead in this game. Probably my guess has always been because the malaise started, started much, much longer ago. It started in around the year 2000. It's been, it hasn't grown for like 14 years. And, um, you know, the, the, the period of misery in Greece is shorter, and there's still a hope in Greece that things go better. Should that hope be, be uh, you know, should there be disillusionment? I mm. think that's when you have to be careful. Mm. And you know, it's not you know us or any any market people who, who will who will do anything. It's it's then it's then the, the people who, who who then make that decision. Okay, thanks. I think we've um, had a very good discussion and learned quite a lot. Reasons to be cheerful. Uh, Greece is um, maybe better off than Japan. Uh, unfortunately, it's worse <laughs> off than Albania. 
So we've learned quite a lot, uh, and I thank uh, this expert panel for uh, their presentations. Before I invite you to show your appreciation, I'd simply like to mention that uh, we have another Greek event in two weeks' time on the 28th of May. Uh, 2014 is the anniversary of the collapse of the Greek kernels. Uh, some of us are old enough to remember that. Uh, not me, of course, but other panelists uh, <laughs> probably can remember that event. And this will be on Wednesday, the 28th of May at uh, 6.30. So do join us then if you uh, are able. So, uh, excellent debates, contributions. Thank you for your questions. Please join me in thanking our panelists for the presentations. Thank you. Thank you.